Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how believing in the gospel is to repent, not just of failing the law, but of relying on the law. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Hello, good morning. So good to be with you today, and a little life update from the Husseby family. We had a rough couple of weeks, so I wasn't here last Sunday, and it was not by choice, but to go back to Valentine's Day, uh, my wife and I had a little date planned for lunch downtown, and I was waiting in the restaurant, and I get a phone call from her, and she said, she's bawling, help, I fell on the ice, come get me. So I run across the street, and she's laying there, and her leg goes this way, and then her ankle goes like that. So she said she slipped on the ice, heard it snap in midair, and then landed. So we scooped her up, brought her to the ER, and that began a whole, you know, thing. So I'm very grateful for Bruce, our worship leader, who also fixed my wife's ankle, had surgery, put in a bunch of screws and stuff. Yay, Bruce, wherever you're at, thank you. Multi-talented guy. Um, And then the next day, I woke up with COVID, so that was kind of where our week went, and it's been, you know, we're back. So anyway, Casey's not here today. Hopefully by next Sunday, she'll be able to join us, but uh, that's kind of where our life has been lately, but glad to be here with you today, and we have a family meal, so that's a special thing, and we're going to continue on in our series in the book of Galatians, and so we're going to be in Galatians 3 today if you want to get there and kind of keep your finger in the page, and then uh, we'll read that together in just a moment. But if I were to walk up on, to you on the street, or, or maybe someone at your workplace were to walk up to you and say, hey, you're one of those Christians, right? What do I have to do to get right with God? How do I please God? If someone were to ask you that question, how might you answer that? You don't have to answer that right now, but just think about it. How would you respond to that person? And my hunch is that depending on where you're at and what you believe to be true about the gospel and how you perceive grace would radically inform how we would respond to that question. That's a bit of a loaded statement, right? How do you please God? Ooh. But you think about it, there have been people all throughout time, history, and in different cultures trying to answer that question. How do you please God? Because from way back when, people wanted to have God on their side. And for some, it was very practical reasons like, well, we need our crops to grow. We need to have a bountiful harvest. We have to feed our families. We want to have fertility. We want to be able to raise kids and grow our tribe or grow our culture, nation, army, whatever. And for some, it was just, hey, we're going into this battle. We want God to be on our side so that we can win. We want to be on the winning team, right? And so for all these cultures and, and ideas and belief systems throughout history, there's been kind of a common thread of like, I do what my God wants, therefore my God or gods or goddesses or whatever their belief system is, is pleased with me. That's how people believe. It's very transactional. And if you think about world religion now, even with Islam, like Muslims believe in Allah, that there's one God, powerful God, and that he created everything and he's over everything and you know, he controls good and evil, and, and Muslims believe that if they serve Allah, if they do the right things, then Allah will be pleased with them, right? So they, they worship, a, in their minds, a very powerful God who's basically unknowable. 
And in Hinduism, um, they have many gods and goddesses. Probably the main, uh, the most divine is Lord Shiva. And so they would go to this temple on Monday and they would bring offerings and they would bring, what was it, milk and honey and they'd have to take a bath first and chant a mantra over and over. And, and really they're trying to gain release from karma. So basically if they do the right things, then, then everything will go well in their life. And that's their belief system. We could go on and on about world religion and what people believe to be true about their deity. How do you please your God? And the common thread that runs through all of them is this. I do what my God wants, therefore I am accepted. That's every world religion out there. Christianity is different though. Christianity says there's nothing we can do to, earn, to be right with God. There's nothing we can do on our own. We come to him. Jesus did it for us. And therefore, I'm accepted. That's very different. That's a very different mindset than every other world religion. And so that's the essence of Christianity is saying, thank you, Jesus. You did something for me that I couldn't do. You lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. You paid the penalty for my sin by dying on the cross, something I didn't have to do. And I get your righteousness in return. That's what Christianity is. So different than every other world religion. And so... Um, that's the essence of Christianity, but really our motivation can get in the way of that sometimes. Even as Christians, we can say, okay, uh, I want to live in a, re- a right relationship with God, and we know that that comes by grace through Jesus, but yet then we can start to, to shift into some other territory here, and we can let the wrong things motivate us, like fear. Maybe some of you are motivated by fear, and you think, well, I'm just kind of afraid of God because if I don't do the right things, then he's going to be upset with me and he's going to like smite me. You know, he's going to zap me or thump me with something like a bad situation and I'm going to have a health problem, maybe a broken ankle, you know, or, or there's going to be something bad that happens to me at work or my family's going to fall apart and we're just kind of waiting for the next crisis because we're afraid that God is after us. So we, we're motivated out of fear to try to do all the right things so that God will accept us. Another motivator that we often fall into is entitlement. Well, man, if I do all the things that I think God wants me to do, then he owes me a blessing, right? So if I, if I do all the things, God, then you kind of owe me. And so if I pray regularly, if I read the Bible every day, if I go to church, if I give money to, to the ministry, then, then God kind of owes me a blessing. And again, we get back to that transactional mindset that God somehow owes us, right? And so a a good desire to please God can be really skewed by fear and entitlement. And none of these motivations is what God wants. He doesn't want that for us. That's not what pleases Him. None of the good works that we can do bring God joy. And so what if I told you that there is one thing that we can do to please God? Would you want to know what that one thing is? Yeah. There's one thing that we can do to please God. And some of you know what this is. But I'm just going to say it because we need to hear it over and over again. Here's the one thing that we can do to please God. Trust Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing that we can do that pleases God. Everything else flows from that. And faith and trust are really the same thing, right? It's the same, same uh, idea behind it. And so before we get into Galatians, I want to share a verse that is very, very important for us to grasp as we think about this idea of pleasing God. 
There's a verse in Hebrews 11 that I want to share with you, Hebrews 11:6, in three different translations. I'm thinking maybe it'll stick if we, you know, hit it in a few different translations here. So the first one is this, ESV. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. The NLT says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. And the TLB, you can never please God without faith, without depending on Him. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that there is a God and that He rewards those who sincerely look for Him. So God has always wanted a relationship with human beings. That's why He created us. And He said there's no way for us to have a relationship like a holy God and unholy people without something being taken care of there. God says, I sent my son Jesus to take care of that for you. And if you put your faith in him, if you trust in him, then we can have a relationship. And, and that's, that's how we're justified before God. So pleasing God has nothing to do with how many times we pray, how much we give in the offering plate, or how much we serve. And it has everything to do with faith. A couple of weeks ago, I, I shared in the sermon about my own story, my own journey of faith. And how I, I'd been living for myself, and I was just kind of rebellious towards my parents, towards God, and I knew the right way, and I just wasn't living that way. And God got a hold of my heart, and I knew it was time to stop messing around. And so I started attending a church. I started reading the Bible, and I'm like, Lord, I want to get right with you. I want to turn a corner and get, get on the right path. And that was a sincere desire from my heart to, to please God. And I understood salvation, understood grace, but then man, I started to, you know, add some rules on, and the people that I was around started to give me a lot of to-dos and to-don'ts, right? And pretty soon, it, it moved into something different. And I think that happens for many of us, that we start off in faith. We understand the purity and the truth of the gospel. We understand grace, and then something happens, and we start to drift away from it. And so we're going to see that from the Galatians. We've been talking about them. We've been kind of beating up on those Galatians, because they, they started in faith and then they moved away from it. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, Galatians 3, we're going to read 1 through 14. I think we'll find we're in good company with the Galatians. Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And so there's a lot going on in there, and it gets a little chunky at the back end of that passage, but to sum up, and we're going to unpack this in a minute, but to sum up what Paul is saying, he says, faith is enough. Faith is enough. That's what he's telling the Galatians. And he asked them, he says, who's bewitched you? Right? Who's bewitched you? And that's, that's a pretty strong statement. I mean, Paul's coming out swinging. He's pretty serious about this. He's trying to correct their wrong thinking. He says, who has put you under a spell? Because there were false teachers who had come into the churches in Galatia, and they were teaching a different gospel, and Paul's pushing back hard on it. He's saying, no, that's not the truth. We're not going to believe that. And he likened it to being under a spell, being bewitched, because here's the thing. Paul knew that it was a spiritual attack. This was the work of Satan to undermine the truth of the gospel. Satan is a liar and the father of lies, the Bible says. And so that's what he does. He takes away truth and he tries to twist it and distort it. And Paul's coming after it. And he's saying, we can't pervert the gospel. It's, it's not different than when you started out. Who's bewitched you? Who's put you under their spell? He says, you started out in faith and you received the Spirit by faith. That was their conversion. So don't jump away from that. Don't go on a different path now. Continue in the same gospel that you first received. Faith is enough. There's a story of a a Sunday school teacher, and she had a group of kindergartners. And so she was trying to teach these kids what what a person has to do to be saved, right, to get right with God. And so she asked the kids some questions. She said, if I were to have a really big garage sale and raise a whole bunch of money and sell a bunch of my stuff and give it to missionaries, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids, no. And then she says, well, if I were to volunteer all my time and I were to mow the yard at the church building and I were to shovel the driveway and, and just vacuum all the carpets and do everything, would that get me into heaven? All the kids, no. Kids are so smart, right? And so she asked one final question. She says, if I were super nice to all the animals and I give candy to all the kids and I love my husband, would that get me into heaven? Once again, they say no. And so she asked the kids, she said, well, what does a person need to be do to get into heaven, to be saved. And little Johnny, little boy in the front row, raises his hand. He says, well, if you want to get into heaven, first you got to be dead. (laughs) (laughs) So true, right? Kids, brutally honest. Got to love them. But let's think about that question for a minute. How good do you have to be to get into heaven? I think we've got a slide for this. All right, so first answer is A, pretty good. B, really good. C, better than Uncle Joe. I don't know who that is, but... And D, perfect. So what's the answer to that question? How good do you have to be to get into heaven? D, perfect. We have to be perfect because God is holy. He is perfect. And that's the point of the story is to say, we're not perfect, but Jesus is. And so Paul made made a point to his audience. Hey, you started in the Spirit but now you're trying to be perfected by the flesh? 
What do you mean by flesh? Well, it's works, right? Doing good works. That's what he means by the flesh. You're trying to add to the righteousness that you already have given to you by Jesus, by grace, by the way. And now you're trying to add to it. You're trying to improve it in order to be more righteous, as as, as if that's somehow a possibility. And so he's telling them, you can't become more righteous. You can't improve on the work that Jesus has already done for you and in you. And maybe some of us resonate with this. At first, our faith in Jesus is enough. We first come to faith in Him, but then over time, we start trying to add. We start trying to keep up our own righteousness. Oh, thanks, Jesus. You saved me but I got this now. It's on me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maintain my righteousness. Paul's telling the Galatians, you can't do that. That's not how this works. There's a quote by John Lynch. It says this, there were seasons early on when I believed. I have been changed into a new creature. I am fused with Jesus. He loves me and enjoys me all the time. He is maturing me in his way, in his time. I can trust and receive love But then most of the rest of the time I've believed I've changed in a legal sense, but not really. He's usually disappointed with me. He expects me to at least try to fix myself. I can't be trusted or trust anyone else. So maybe you resonate a little bit with that quote. Maybe there's a time in your life where you really felt accepted and affirmed and, and just received his salvation. But then it's like, ah, then... I don't really feel like I'm all that different. And he just kind of wants me to white knuckle it out here and, and, and just become a better version of myself, to try hard to be a good Christian. And we kind of flip-flop back and forth. And that's what the Galatians were doing. That's what Paul was correcting. But he says faith is enough. And so faith is enough, but what about living by faith? See, Paul knows what's at stake here. He knows that it's the difference between understanding grace, living by faith, is freedom. Or bondage. We can be in bondage to the law. And Paul knew all about this. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He grew up in it. He knew what it meant to keep the law and to just do everything he could to keep it. And then he literally had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and he was set free from that. And he says, I'm not going back. I am not going back to the law. If anyone could have gone back to it, it was Paul. He was a Pharisee. He says, no, I've experienced grace and I'm going to live by faith now. And so he talks about you can't get right with God through the law. And he talks a lot about faith in this passage, doesn't he? Verse 6, he says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul says when you live by faith, you're actually like a son of Abraham. What in the world is he talking about? So Abraham was a long time ago. And these teachers of religious, the false teachers that came in and were leading the Galatians astray were talking a lot about Moses, the law of Moses, circumcision. You've got to do all this stuff. That was their, that's the law that they were trying to put on the Galatians. And Paul says, okay, you want to talk about the law? I'm going to go upstream even a little further, back in the timeline, all the way to Abraham. And God made a promise with Abraham. This is pre-law. This is before the law even came into play. And he says, Abraham, come out of your tent. And so Abraham comes out of his tent. God says, look at the stars in the sky. I want you to count them for me. Abraham's like, I can't count all those stars. Are you kidding me? Who can count the stars? God says, exactly. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You can't count them. He says, Abraham, how many 
grains of sand are there on the seashore? Don't know. Can't count them. I'm going to give you descendants like that. That's my promise to you. And Abraham said, okay, cool. Sounds good to me. And he believed God, and God gave him righteousness, accredited that to, as righteousness because of his faith. So three things happened. God made a promise, said this is what's going to happen. Abraham believed God. And then the third thing, he was given righteousness as a result. And the reason Paul brings this up so much, this is a parallel of the gospel. This is a picture of Jesus. He says, there's a promise of salvation offered to you. What do you have to do? Like Abraham, believe it. Receive it by faith, just like Abraham believed his promise. And then what happens? We receive righteousness. We're made right with God. It's a parallel picture. And he's trying to help these people see from the Old Testament, like, guys, look it. It's always been here. Like the gospel was preached through Abraham before anything ever happened. That's crazy. And so he talks a lot about faith. And again, it was pre-law. And so we might ask ourselves, how does this kind of faith that Abraham had, the kind of faith that we need actually live out in real life? How do we, how do we live in faith? How do we walk by faith? We talk a lot about our de- definition of discipleship around Missio as we are moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life in light of the gospel. So more and more, day by day, we are growing Trusting the gospel more and more. Trusting Jesus with more and more areas of my life. Hey, my marriage, I can trust Jesus with that. Hey, my kids, I can trust Jesus with that. My job situation, my hopes and dreams, my finances. The gospel is good news for all of it, and I can live trusting in Jesus for all of those things. That's the process of discipleship. That's how we live by faith. That's how we mature. And so we talk about pleasing God It's trusting in the gospel of Jesus more and more. So we can stop trying harder or striving to be better. That's not going to get us there. But we believe the truth. We believe more. We believe more. Make sense? There's a guy named Frank. Now, Frank is a fictional character, but um, I want to tell a story about Frank. Frank has been involved in the local church for 20 years, has a family, um, he's been an usher, he gives regularly, he shows up three to four times a month in church services. Frank's a good guy, and he's got a corporate job. But the problem is that his company had some cutbacks, and they slashed the budget, and it eliminated Frank's position. So Frank is now unemployed. He's out of work. And so Frank immediately starts to question, God, are you not pleased with me? Why is this stuff happening to me? Why am I going through this crisis? All those other people who don't give a rip about you still have their jobs, and I'm unemployed, God. Don't you see the injustice here? And so Frank has a choice. He can be bitter, he can be angry, he can stew, or he can say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I know that you love me, and I know that you have what's best for me, and I'm going to trust you. So he's at a bit of a a point. And so Frank takes a few days and stews over it, gets pretty mad and, you know, pity party, in which we all have done, right? But then he decides that, okay, I'm going to trust God. I remember all the things I've learned being a part of the church, that God loves me, he's my father, he'll take care of me. And he decides to just rest in that. And what he finds is that in the days to come, some unexpected money comes his way from friends and family, things he didn't foresee. And about a month later, he turns out he gets another job and it's actually pays just as well as his previous job, 
And he actually now has more time to spend with his kids and his family. And he finds out that he's better off in the long run because he lost that first job and God moved him into something else. And now this is a hypothetical story, but you can see, I mean, I've had this experience, you've probably had this experience, many of you, that it really comes down to, are we going to trust God with the stuff of our life or not? We can talk about faith all day long, we can talk about Abraham, but what about us? What about our faith? Do we trust God's promises? Do we trust what the Bible tells us is true about Him or not? When push comes to shove, when there's no longer a, a paycheck coming from our employer, when the bank account's draining, that's where we find out where our faith is really at, right? So I want to pause right here and just have a little bit of discussion. The gospel tells us God will take care of our needs. It tells us that God is for us and He loves us. But I want to ask two questions and just see how, maybe you've got something stirring in your heart that you want to share with the rest of the group this morning. So the first question is this, what area of your life is the hardest to trust God with right now and why? Anybody want to be brave and share something? Everybody trusts God perfectly, awesome. These are great. Something that's hard to trust God with. My adult Your adult children. Yeah. She says adult children because you no longer have control over them. Yeah, we like to be in control. We feel better when we're in control. But letting go of that means that they're God's. They're in His hands. Who, by the way, God loves your adult children more than you ever will, right? And that's comforting. That is... That's good news. Anybody else struggling to trust God with something this morning that you want to share? How about the next question? How might God be growing your faith through your current circumstances? Maybe you're in a trial right now and you just don't, you can't make sense of it. Be honest, my wife's laying at home in bed and I don't know what God's teaching her, but he's teaching her something through this broken ankle, and sometimes we don't really know what it is. We don't know what he's up to, but can I trust his heart? Absolutely. By the way, thank you for everyone who's brought a meal, a word of encouragement. It's so awesome to see the family be in the family when we're going through stuff, right? Arlen, you've been through some stuff too lately. I know that. So God uses our circumstances to grow us, to grow our faith. He says, hey, I'm still here. I'm still good. I still love you. Even though you're experiencing some junk in your life right now, doesn't mean that I've checked out on you, right? So let's talk about living in grace. This is a word we've been talking about a lot in this series, and I don't know, maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but I've said often that grace is the church's favorite doctrine that we really don't believe, or our favorite doctrine that we really don't understand very well. That's maybe a little softer way of putting it. But it's sneaky how we move from grace into law. Jesus, thank you what you did for me, but now I gotta add to it a little bit. I gotta do some things because the Bible tells me I gotta obey, right? And there's that tension, but obedience is not based on earning. 
It's based on love. Thank you, Jesus. You've given me a way to live that's better than anything I could come, with, come up with on my own. That's what obedience is. He's showing us the best possible way to live. It's not a have to. You don't have to do any of it. You're righteous before God because of Jesus. And if you never do another thing, you're righteous. I don't know if we can fully grasp that. But man, we get to live the obedient life that Jesus lays out for us in Scripture, that the Bible teaches us this is how God's system works. This is how the world works. And when we live in it, we live the best possible life that God designed for us to live. But living in grace is a lot harder than a person would think because we love the law. Oh boy, we love the law, don't we? Because what does law do? It makes everything black and white. Is everything black and white in life? No. Is everything black and white in the Christian faith? No, we know that. Everybody knows that. But we like to make it so. Well, if I got my little scorecard here and that's right and that's wrong, then I can check the box. I'm doing pretty good over here. He, no, Arlen's really falling short on this. So I'm going to click his box, right? And we can rate ourselves. We can have a metric. Some of you really like this because you're, you know, you like everything to be able to be in a rule and a policy and very wired that way. But we all want to see how are we doing? Am I measuring up? Am I pleasing God? God says, throw your scorecard away. I'm not interested in that. Jesus checked every box for you. But yet we move away from grace so quickly. And so we start to think that, man, if I, uh, as long as I don't go to, cu- go to say any cuss words, then God will be pleased with me. As long as I go to church every Sunday, God will be happy with me. If I don't watch R-rated movies or listen to the wrong music or drink alcohol or dance or play cards or all the other things that people get hung up on, that somehow God will be pleased with me. If I, if I don't do those things that my parents and grandparents told me not to do, God's pleased. And if I pray all the time and I read scripture and I do all these spiritual disciplines, then he will be super impressed with me. That's the scorecard. Jesus says, I checked every box. You're never going to get any more righteous than you are right now if you know him by faith. So all that stuff that we like to add on, we do that to make ourselves feel better and to rate everybody else around us. And I can remember probably about five years ago when I first realized this, I was like, man, I I am rating my own spiritual progress based on rules that I got from my parents, my grandparents, that church down the street, and I've made my own scorecard, and I realized that God was saying, you don't have to live by that. That's not freedom. That's bondage. That's law. That's new law. And it was kind of like I'd been swimming in the pool with my little arm floaties on, trying to keep my head above water, and my own righteousness, and Jesus says, take those off. Those are ridiculous. You're a grown man. Swim in the pool. Enjoy the pool. It's awesome. It's great. And, I, and it was freaked me out a little bit, because I'm like, I don't have to rate myself. I don't have to rate others. And actually, my spiritual maturity is more tied to how much I trust Jesus than how many things that I do or don't do on a list. Some of you might be uncomfortable right now because we like to have the scorecard. We like to have the rules because it gives us some safety or what we think is safety. But it's bondage, it's law. Paul says... You can't start in faith and then go over to that. So there's a, a quote by Tim, Tim Keller. Some of you know who he is. He's a pastor and an author. And he has asked the question, do we grow spiritually by being good 
or by repenting of being good? I want you to think about that for a minute. Do we grow spiritually by being good or by repenting of being good? And I want to ask two questions. One more discussion, then we're going to wrap this up. So you can leave that um, quote up on the screen for me, Maddie. Thanks. So the first question is this. What do you think about this quote? Do you, do you agree with it? Do you resonate with it? Has your idea of spiritual growth and maturity, discipleship, been based on a list of to-dos and to-don'ts? What do you guys think? Anybody want to be brave? Don't get shy on me now. Can you say that one more time? It helps to weed out our arrogance or self-pride. Yeah. Because if we're self-sufficient, then being good is what we, we just keep being good. We keep being better. We try harder. We try harder. And maybe we need to repent of those things and say, I can't take any credit for those. Does that mean that we don't do good deeds? Absolutely not. Of course we want to be good people. We want to live the way that Jesus taught us to live. It doesn't earn us anything with God, right? Anybody else? Thoughts on that quote? He said, I, I got to stop thinking I'm going to add to what Jesus already did. Amen. That's, that's the gospel. That's grace. We can't add to it. It's perfect. Jesus nailed it. He got it right. We don't have to improve on it. Thanks, Jesus. That's freedom. It's grace. The so second question is, why is it so hard for us to live in grace even after coming to saving faith? Even after understanding it at the beginning, I mean, I think most of us do, if we become a Christian, we understand, hey, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, right? But then we start to move into this self-righteousness. Why, why is it so hard to continue living in grace? Anybody have an insight to that? Oh, yeah, that, I think you hit something there, because we're not good at having grace for other people. So you realize that for us to experience grace, to receive it, it has to flow back to other people. And if we're not good at sharing that with people around us, we're probably not understanding it really from our Father. We're not understanding it from God Himself. It flows and it becomes kind of an operating system. This is how we function is in grace. Man, I want to live in grace. I want to give you guys grace. I want to receive grace. Anybody? Amen? All right. So my guess is that if we went around this room and we said, who here wants to please God? Maybe raise your hand. Who here wants to please God? Anybody? Yeah. All the hands go up. Everybody wants to please God. But the the reality is we can't please Him apart from faith in Jesus. And so maybe it's time for us to stop trying so hard to improve on what Jesus has done. Maybe it's time for us to stop trying to be better, to stop beating ourselves up when we fail because God's not doing that. He says, no, my son Jesus took every sin. If you were 100 times worse than you are right now, Jesus' grace is still enough. You believe that. 100 times worse. Think of the worst thing you've done in your life. Times 100, times 1,000, Jesus is still enough. Now, Jesus made a promise and he said, he said this, Come to me, all who are weary 
and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your soul. And I have a feeling that we have some people in here this morning who don't have rest in their soul today. And maybe you knew, you've known Jesus a long time. That, that isn't a one-time invitation. That's a daily invitation to come back to Jesus and say, Lord, I need rest. I'm sick of striving and trying so hard and trying to earn my righteousness. Let me just rest in your grace. Jesus says, come to me. You need rest for your soul? Look to Jesus. You want to stop striving to earn his love? Just come. His grace is sufficient. And he's waiting for us. You want rest for your soul? Look to Jesus. You want peace with God? Look to Jesus. Jesus has always been enough, always will be enough. He's the answer. Man, can we believe that today? Can we live into that today? And when we do, when we trust the finished work of Jesus, God is pleased. God is pleased with us. And that that is really good news for us. That is really good news for us, and it's good news for the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you made a way for us to know you, and it's by faith. You extend your grace to us when we believe. And so, Lord, in faith today, we trust you. And with all the stuff in our our lives, and, and I know there weren't a lot of things shared this morning, but we all have things going on in our lives right now. And in faith, we say, Lord, we trust you. We trust your heart. We trust your promises. We trust your word. You are our loving father who always provides for all of our needs. You want what's best for your children. You're not waiting to smite us from heaven. Your heart is of love and grace and kindness, and you prove that through the cross. You prove that by sending Jesus. So, Lord, let us live in faith today. Let us not fall into that same trap that the Galatians fell into where they began so well. They began knowing the gospel and then migrated and moved away from that into self-righteousness, trying to keep our own version of the law. So Lord, we rest in you. We thank you for your grace. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. There is a common thread running through every world religion. I do what my God wants, therefore I'm accepted. Christianity teaches, there is nothing I can do to get right with God on my own. I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, therefore I am accepted. I am accepted, therefore, out of love and relationship, I obey God. The only thing we can do to please God is to trust Jesus and put our faith in Him. Right away, we believe faith is enough. At first, our faith in Jesus is enough, but over time, we start trying to keep our own righteousness. But faith is enough. But what about living by faith? Living by faith. We talk about defining discipleship as moving from unbelief to belief in every area in life in light of the gospel. Stop trying harder or striving to be better, but rather 
believe in the truth of the gospel, and live by faith. Living in grace. Living in grace is tough. We love law. It gives us a sense of how we are doing like a scorecard. We need to embrace the grace that Jesus offers us and rest in his righteousness on our behalf. Discussion questions. How does a Christian please God? What area of your life is the hardest to trust God with right now? Why? How might God be growing your faith through your circumstances? Tim Keller asks the question, do we grow spiritually by being good or by repenting of being good? What do you think of the Keller quote? Has your idea of growing spiritually been based on being good? Why is it so hard for us to live in grace? even after coming to saving faith through grace. Thanks for listening, Missio family. We will see you next week as we can continue through Galatians.